0: The Old Testament is a history of God's dealings with his people Israel. And even though we are not in the Old Covenant and the promises given to Israel are not the promises for the Christian, it's important for us to understand that because a lot of believers in many, many churches and preachers go to claim Old Testament promises and they're not applicable for us today like the Lord says in there that he'll give you a land to possess and he'll make you abound in prosperity and give you your bonds will overflow etc cetera, etc cetera, and that you'll have many many children those are not the promises in the New Testament In the New Testament, everything there is applied spiritually because it says we are blessed, Ephesians 1-3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In the Old Testament, it would be they were blessed with every material blessing in earthly places in Moses. There's a lot of difference between the two. So if you go back to those... Material and earthly blessings, you're going back under Moses, not under Christ. Ephesians 1.3 is very clear. And, but yet, and so we moved into the new covenant where the important thing is not even healing from sickness. There were many promises of that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you go to the epistles and there's no promise that Jesus will heal you from all your sicknesses. Two of God's greatest servants, Timothy and Paul, suffered with sickness till the end of their lives. But again, it's transferred spiritually that God will heal us from spiritual sicknesses, which is sin. So if we understand this difference, we will not be confused by a lot of preaching today which leads people to frustration because they're trying to claim a promise which God has not given them. It's very important for us to understand. We need to distinguish between the things that differ. And uh, the Holy Spirit will make us understand that but even though we're you know we're removed from the old covenant there are a lot of lessons we can learn from the old covenant for example I know in my own understanding of body, soul and spirit man is body, soul and spirit we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 actually spirit, soul and body my understanding of it became much clearer when I saw that that was pictured in the Old Testament tabernacle and We did a study of that in one conference here, where the outer court and the holy place, the most holy place were a picture of body, soul and spirit. And important thing to learn there is how to enter the most holy place, how to enter that life in the spirit. And that was through the rent veil, which was torn when Jesus died on the cross, um, and that symbolizes how Jesus never did his own will. The rending of the veil, we read in Hebrews twenty twenty, the picture of Jesus' flesh or his self will. Flesh refers to self will. That means all through his life, whenever he was tempted to do his own will, he never did it. It says in Romans fifteen and verse three and four, Christ never pleased himself Amazing verse, never pleased himself. And John six thirty eight, he never did his own will. That's what rent the veil. God sent his son not just to die for our sins, but to show us by 33 and a half years on earth how little children should live, how teenagers should live, how working men, as he worked as a carpenter, how they should work. And in everything, whatever age he was, whatever thing he was doing, whether he was in a profession as a carpenter or a full-time worker, he never pleased himself. He always wanted to please the father. And he never did his own will. He always did the will of his Father. And that's what resulted in the most wonderful life the world has ever seen. Now we all acknowledge that Jesus lived the most wonderful life the world has ever seen. But I don't know if... And we all want to live that type of life. The Bible says we must walk as Jesus walked. But we can't walk as he walked unless we are willing to choose that way of life. And that is the meaning of the rent veil. When he died on the cross and he said it is finished, what he was saying was that the entirety of man's self-will was finished. Every possible way in which man could seek his own, do his own will, was denied throughout his life, tempted in all points as we are, and never sinned. That basically means that he was tempted to do his own will all through his life, but he never did it. And the end result was He could finish the entire range of temptation and doing of self-will that's open to us and the veil was rent. Now, the Bible says that that is a way that Jesus inaugurated for us to walk in. It's not a door. That veil, we read in Hebrews 10, 20 onwards, is a new and living way Not a door. A door you enter in a moment. A way is something you have to walk continuously. So living in the most holy place or living life in the Spirit is something that we have to choose every day. If we walk that way, we can live in the Spirit all the time by denying our own will. The reason I mention that is because a lot of our problems are because we live in the soul. In our mind and in our emotions. We live in our mind or emotions. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to get depressed. We're going to get gloomy and have seasons of joy. It's never a steady life. It's always up and down. And uh, we will think that our intellectual, mind is also a part of the soul. It's a holy place. Our intellectual understanding of truth We think makes us spiritual. It doesn't. It's one of the greatest deceptions I have seen, even in our own churches, in many CFC churches in India. I've seen people who think that because they are clever, educated, they think that because they understand the truths we preach clearly, they become spiritual. That's one of the greatest deceptions in Christianity. The Pharisees understood the truth very clearly. Yet they were the most evil people of all. The Romans didn't want to kill Jesus. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. Who were they? The people who understand understood the truth of the Bible more than anybody else intellectually. And that's one of the greatest warnings we have in the Gospels: that the people who killed Jesus was not the Romans. Pilate wanted to spare him. The heathen are better than many nominal Christians who understand the truth accurately. But don't choose to walk the way of self denial. And they pat themselves on the back that they're spiritual because they can understand it, or they can explain it, or they can preach it. These are all deception. The proof of your spirituality has got nothing to do with how well you can understand or explain the truth of scripture. That only shows you've got a good mind, that you're very clever. But the truth, the true spirituality is that person who's probably 10% as clever as you, who cannot explain or preach like you can, but who's daily, it could be a woman, who's daily denying his or her own will and choosing to please God and never please himself or herself. It's very important for us to understand this. Otherwise, we live in a world of delusion, imagining that we are becoming more and more spiritual because. We are understanding more and more of the truth. And you know in our churches we probably hear more truth than probably in any other church. The things that we learn from scripture here most Christians would not know. You have more knowledge of the truth than most Christians today. But it doesn't mean you're more spiritual. A lot of those people in those other churches could be far more spiritual than you. Because they're seeking to deny their own will, even though their understanding of truth is less. Unless we have realized this, we won't have a sober estimate of ourselves. The Bible says we must have a sober estimate of ourselves and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That's the verse in Romans chapter 12. And what that means is, don't think you're more spiritual than you really are. Don't delude yourself. In um, 1 John in chapter 2, we read that when Christ comes again, there are going to be two categories of believers. One who will rise up with joy and boldness to meet him in the air. And another group of believers who will shrink back, which means they won't rise up to meet him in the air. I mean, where have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard that some believers will not be eager to meet the Lord when He comes? I mean, you don't have to believe what I say unless you see it in Scripture. Don't believe anybody who cannot show you something in Scripture. See 1 John chapter 2 and see how you understand it. Verse 28. Now, little children, very clear that He's talking to believers. Believers who are called in verse 1 of the same chapter, little children who have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Those are the little children who have been exhorted not to sin. Because and if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. These are not unbelievers. These are believers. Little children, verse 28, abide in Him, in Christ, so that When he appears, now there are two categories of people when he appears. One, who will have boldness. Confidence means boldness. Eager to meet him. And another, second category, who shrink away in shame at his coming. Which category are you going to be in? It doesn't matter what people here on earth think of you, whether you're spiritual or carnal. The opinions of men, as I always say, are fit for the trash can. Throw into the trash can the opinion that every other believer here has of you. It's worth nothing, I'll tell you that. It just means, if you, they have a good opinion of you, it means you put up a good front before them so it's trash this is what will matter in the final day that when Christ appears are we going to have boldness and eagerness to say Lord I'm ready not ready to go to heaven everyone wants to go to heaven is there a single person among the 7 billion people in the world who doesn't want to go to heaven I've never met a man who wants to go to hell nobody The terrorists and suicide bombers, they want to go to heaven too. In fact, their religion teaches them that if you do suicide bombing, you'll go to heaven immediately. They all want to go to heaven. But it's a deception. Nobody wants to go to hell. But just like they are deceived, thinking that if I go and bomb somebody for the sake of my religion, I'll go to heaven, we can also deceive ourselves that if I understand truth accurately and go along to the right church which preaches it I'll also be ready to go to heaven it could be a deception I'll be ready to meet the Lord not necessarily we must go by scripture and if scripture says little children some of you will shrink away from Christ in shame at his coming that means the Lord comes and you don't want to meet him because you're not ready to meet him there could be many reasons you know that Jesus said that if you haven't forgiven somebody for what he did against you or against your family or whatever, maybe he cheated you, and you haven't forgiven him, you may have very good reasons for not forgiving him. But Jesus taught that God will not forgive you. It's very important to understand the more and more I have moved among believers I have seen clearly that there are many believers who retain grudges against others. Well, people say that was long, long ago. That's fine. But you still have a grudge against that person for what he did. And in some cases, where they even apologize to you, you still keep a grudge against that person for some reason or the other. And in most cases, they probably did not apologize to you. It doesn't make a difference. What Jesus taught us on the cross was that even if they crucify you, you have to say, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. It's really true. When a a worldly person hurts a child of God, they don't know what they're doing, even when they kill. You know, you think all these people who killed the apostles, they really believed that they were they understood what they were doing no can you kill a man and not know what you are doing jesus was not talking about they're killing him on the crucifying him on the cross what he was emphasizing was they don't know who they are crucifying everybody knows that killing another man is evil so when you say they don't know what they do it's not about the killing of jesus the point is they did not know who they were killing. They were killing the Son of God. That's what he meant when he said, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. Forgive them. And it's the same when, when anyone hurts someone who's a child of God. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 8, He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. What a word. It's amazing that God says that about His wholehearted disciples. That, you know, the the apple of your eye, the center of your eye is the most sensitive part of your body. You can touch any other part of your body and you don't feel any pain. But there's one part of your body, if you touch it, it hurts so much. That's the center part of your eye. And God says in the book of Zechariah chapter 2 that when anyone touches you, My servant, he touches the apple of my eye. So if you're a wholehearted disciple of Jesus, and somebody kills you or hurts you or harms you in some way or cheats you, it's true. They don't know what they're doing. Because they don't know who they're doing it to. They're doing it to the apple of God's eye. That's why we can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing is maybe a small little thing, but they don't know who they're doing it to. They're doing it to one of God's special children. So we we have to forgive. And Jesus said that very clearly you know, when he mentioned I mentioned this because this is one of the reasons why some people will shrink away in Christ. Think about the ex- expression we use. Some will boldly meet the Lord and some will shrink away. And one of the factors, not all the factors, one of the factors why some people will shrink away is an un forgiving attitude or spirit towards somebody else and the fact that it was done 50 years ago makes no difference God lives in the eternal present tense he doesn't live in God is no past present future like we have the Bible says a thousand years are like one day so what's 50 years 50 years is like one hour so if somebody did some harm to you 50 years ago God says that was just one hour ago he did that harm to you and you haven't forgiven him You say Lord it was 50 years ago yeah one hour that's all one, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years so don't ignore grudges that you have in your heart against people who did evil to you long long ago make sure I'm not saying you have to meet them I'm not saying you have got to go and fellowship with them Jesus never went and met the Pharisees he never fellowshiped with them but he forgave for them. them forgiveness is an act of your will where you say Lord I have forgiven that person I say it before you I stand before you the judge of the universe and I'm it's like you know taking a vow in a court and uh, you stand before the judge of the universe and say Lord I promise you I have forgiven him I have forgiven her and all those people anyone that comes to my mind, you don't have to torture yourself about people you don't know. If you haven't forgiven someone, it will be in your mind, definitely. If you ask the Lord, tell me Lord whom I haven't forgiven, I tell you in 30 seconds, you'll get a list of all those names. Definitely. Because it's there. And if you don't forgive them, I can tell you in Jesus name right now, you will not, be ready to meet the Lord when he comes now you can take it or leave it I hope you take it and I'll tell you why if you turn to Matthew chapter 6 this is just one of the reasons when we say we are ready for the coming of the Lord here's one thing we can definitely help you to be ready and I believe one of my callings in life the Lord's given me is to get God's people ready for the coming of the Lord John the Baptist got Israel ready for the first coming of Christ. And the prophets in the church are to get God's people ready for the second coming of Christ. So that's why I emphasize this. When the Lord taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, he taught us six requests we must pray for. One, Lord, I want your name to be hallowed on earth. Very important. It's the first thing we should be praying for. God's name will be hallowed on earth. Second, Lord, I want your kingdom to come soon. When I read of all the evil going on in the world, all the human trafficking and sexual evil, always my heart's cry is, Lord Jesus, come soon. Look at all these poor people being exploited. Come soon and bring justice and judgment on all these people who exploit others. Your kingdom come. And third, Lord, Your will be done in my life just as it is done in heaven. Total obedience like the angels. And fourth, give me my daily bread. I want to trust you to provide me a job so that I can earn my living and feed myself and my family. And fifth, forgive us my, our debts, our sins in exactly the same way as we have forgiven others. It isn't just forgive us our sins. He could have left it like that. No. It's the one request where there's a a description of how we want God to forgive us in all those other things there is no description of how God should do it he didn't, we are not told how he should hallow his name or how his kingdom should come or how his will should be done or how he should provide us our daily bread or how he should not verse 13 lead us not into temptation or deliver us from evil there is no how in it But when it comes to this fifth request, we are telling God how to do it. It's the only one of the five requests where we are specifically telling God, this is the way I want you to forgive me. I don't tell him how to hallow his name. I don't tell him how to deliver me from evil. He knows how to do it. I don't even tell him how to give me my daily bread. But I do tell him how to forgive me. Lord, I want you to forgive me exactly like I have forgiven that person and the other person and other sister and that other woman and that other man and those other people and some of my family members and relatives and that boss at work many years ago and all these other people Lord I want you to forgive me exactly like I have forgiven all those people now ask yourself is that the way you want God to forgive you? really you say no I want God to forgive me freely well he'll do that if you forgive all those others freely because that is the request forgive me exactly like I have forgiven others I'll tell you I want God to forgive me freely completely and therefore God is my witness there's not a human being that I ever interacted with or that I didn't interact with whom I'm not forgiven and I believe there are a lot more in my case than in your case because I'm a servant of the Lord and the devil's been a, I've been a target of Satan for years through human beings who try to trouble me and harass me and all types of things. But I have forgiven every last one of them freely. Not only freely, but I don't have a grudge against anyone. And above all that, I don't wish any evil to come upon any of them. Can you say that? You honestly don't wish any evil or punishment to come to them who did so much harm to you. Can you say that? Or do you get a little thrill when something bad happens to somebody who hurt you? I know. Long ago in my life it was like that. I found a little delight in my heart when something bad happened to someone who had hurt me and the Lord said to me, you have not forgiven that person from your heart. You said with your mouth, I've forgiven him. But here I'm showing you today, you have not forgiven that person from your heart because you're a little delighted when that evil happened to that person. And I fell on my face and said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for showing me that before Jesus returned. Because, you know, it's important to forgive a person from the heart. And I hadn't done it. The proof of it was... I was a little happy when something evil happened to that person. I'm extremely thankful for the Lord showing it to me. And I decided to forgive that person from that heart that moment. And I decided to apply that rule to every other person i had forgiven. And that's not the only difference in the six requests. At the end of the prayer, out of all the six requests, Jesus picked out this one. He picked out this one particularly and emphasized it. Why was that? In verse 14, He says, if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly father will forgive you. And like you heard me say before, it's not God will forgive you. If he had said God will forgive you, then of course, it's probably referring to unbelievers. But when he says your heavenly father, that means he's talking to believers. And the whole Sermon on the Mount, if you read Matthew 5, was spoken to disciples. Your heavenly father, he's already your heavenly father. But he'll forgive you only if you forgive others. And listen to this, verse 15. If you don't forgive men, your heavenly father, he is your heavenly father right now, you're a child of God, no doubt about that, but your heavenly father will not forgive you. And if you die like that, or if Christ comes and you're in that condition, I want to ask you one question, which someone who's understood the ABC of Christianity can answer can you enter heaven with even one sin, unforgiven? Can you enter heaven with an unforgiven sin? There's no sin that can enter heaven. Absolutely not. That's why we confess our sins, so that we can be cleansed in the blood of Christ. Do you know that the blood of Christ will only cleanse the sins you confess? When we come initially to the Lord, we don't know the millions of sins we confess, we have we, we committed So we only say like the prodigal son, Father, I have sinned. He never made a list of all his sins. And the father said, welcome. That's how we come initially. But once we are children of God, every time you are aware of a sin, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, the Bible says, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, you cannot, be, you cannot confess a sin you're not convicted of, but you can ignore them. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin, whether it's in thought or in a word you spoke to someone, if you don't confess it, you're not cleansed. I mean, that's 1 John nine. If you ignore it, one, you will never get victory over that sin. Because you sort of overlook it as if it's something light. So we cannot enter heaven if we don't if we got sin in our life. That, that's absolutely clear. No sin can enter into his presence. And I'm sure you don't believe that after you die you can get another chance to confess your sins. That's out of the question. Because it says in Hebrews nine twenty seven, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after that it's only judgment there is no second chance. If there were a second chance, then all these unbelievers who die would get another chance to get converted. But the Bible is very clear in Hebrews 9.27, once to die and after that the judgment. So it's very important that I live every day of my life with a heart that's free from any unforgiving attitude towards anybody. As I said, that's not the only thing, but that's a very major thing Because Jesus emphasized it. Your heavenly Father, He is your Father, will not forgive you. When is He going to forgive you? He says He won't forgive you. And I want to turn to another passage, Matthew 18. This has come very strongly to my mind over the last few weeks and months. And I've been stressing it everywhere I go. Whenever the Lord lays something on my heart, I know that people need to hear it. So everywhere I've been preaching the last few weeks, I've been emphasizing this story. where Jesus said about the parable of the slave who was forgiven. A huge debt. Matthew 18 and verse 23. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves and one slave owed him verse 24, Matthew 18, 10,000 talents and the margin of my Bible says that is 10 million dollars in value well that's a lot of money I don't think any of you can pay a debt of 10 million dollars none of us can, it's a huge amount and a slave doesn't even get a salary He's got zero in his bank account. How in the world can he clear a debt of $10 million? So what does he say? He says, have patience with me. I'll try and repay it. I'll work hard and do extra work. The king was sorry for this slave and said, okay, you're forgiven. Verse 27, what a merciful king to forgive $10 million. What a merciful king. That slave went out, it says, and found another slave who owed him and the margin of my Bible says a hundred denarii was a hundred days wages and I presume two thousand years ago a day's wage may have been about one dollar a day two thousand years ago was a lot of money so a hundred dollars it's not a small amount it's quite a large sum it's a hundred days wages and It's not something the slave could easily let go. But when he compared it to what he owed the king, it was a drop in an ocean. And you may also say, what that guy did to me was not something I can easily ignore. It's a serious thing he did. The way he slandered my children and the way he did evil to my children, it's not something I can easily ignore. Okay? It's a large amount, $100. But as I said, it's a drop in the ocean compared to what God forgave us. So the point of that story is whenever you think of someone who owes you you in the sense that he's done harm to you, compare it with the evil you did against God, all the sins. And I, I don't believe many of us see the gravity of sin Many sins which we take lightly, we will discover when we stand before the Lord, are very, very serious. When you're far away from God, you don't see the seriousness of many sins. The closer you come to God, you see the seriousness of trivial little selfish acts and words, uh, which made a man like Paul would come close to the Lord say, Lord, I'm the chief of sinners when I think of all the things I did wrong. The holiest man on earth, Paul, felt he was the chief of sinners because he had come so close to God and seen the gravity of little, little things which most Christians took lightly. So when we discover, when we stand before the Lord one day, we will be amazed how serious and how grave were the sins that God forgave us. And the debt we owed him was immense. And we'll see that what Christ paid for us on the cross was a fantastic debt that we could never, never have paid in our entire lifetime. Eternal hell is the price for our sins we have committed and we are forgiven. I was telling someone the other day who felt, a believer, who felt he deserved to be treated better by another believer I said, do you know what you really deserve? If you ask God to give you what you deserve, it's hell. Go to God and say, Lord, give me what I deserve, hellfire. Anything better than hellfire is better than what we deserve. So I was telling him, don't ever think somebody should have treated you better than that. You deserve better. You deserve hellfire. And if you got anything better than that, be thankful. But it's a proud, arrogant man or woman who thinks he deserves better treatment than from others. How dare that person treat me like that? How dare my wife talk to me like that? Who in the world do you think you are? Are you one, do you really believe that you're a hell-deserving, wretched, filthy, good-for-nothing sinner? <clears throat> I'm convinced about this. <clears throat> that many Christians have never seen even once in their life that they are good for nothing, rotten, wretched, hell deserving sinners. God showed that to me even though I never murdered anybody. I didn't commit the gross sins that people uh, commit and yet I I realized when I came before God that I was good for nothing, rotten, hell deserving. Take every adjective you can think of that's true of me. That's why I'm grateful. That's why I'm eternally grateful for having been forgiven. And that's why I can very easily forgive others, whatever they may do. And if you find it difficult to forgive others, <clears throat> let me tell you to your face, <clears throat> my dear brother, sister, you, you haven't really seen what a good for nothing useless person you are in God's eyes. You better ask God to show you that. And see what a rotten, stinking, use every adjective possible, that's what you are in God's eyes. And yet He forgave you so freely. And for you to look down on someone else, it's arrogance, sheer arrogance. That's what this man, he put that man in prison. It's shocking. Now the serious thing I want to mention here is that when the king heard about it he called him back and here is an amazing thing which is not taught in any other passage of scripture it's very important to learn it as far as I know this is the only passage in scripture where this truth is taught listen carefully that all the sins God forgave you in your entire life can be put back upon your head you thought they were gone You thought God had forgotten about it. God never forgets anything. Many people think when God forgives our sins, he forgets about them. There's no verse in the Bible that teaches that. It's if you read carelessly, scripture carelessly, you'll find that. God does not forget the sins you committed in your past life from the day you were born. He knows every one of them. Even after he forgives you. What he does say, read carefully, Hebrews 8, 12 is, I will not remember your iniquities. That's a choice. I choose not to remember. When you come before me, I will not remember your iniquities. I choose not to remember. them. That's different from forgetting. I'll tell you why it's impossible for God to forget. I remember the sins I did 60 years ago as an unconverted person. Is my memory better than God's? <laughs> that I can remember what I did 60 years ago but God can't remember it? i got to be stupid to think that. If I can remember it, you can be pretty sure God can remember it too. But he says, I choose not to remember you because you have repented and you come to me and you've asked God to... ask me to forgive you the Lord says I choose not and so I can stand before God honestly and God looks at me as if I had never committed a sin in my entire life that's what gives me tremendous boldness and you can come like that before God too as if you had never sinned in your whole life because God says I choose not to remember but if there is one person whom you won't forgive, whom you spiritually catch by the throat or spiritually put him in a prison that you won't have anything, you want something evil to happen to him. Then, this passage teaches that all those sins which you thought God had forgotten, he hasn't, are put back on your head. That's what the Lord said you have to repay, verse 34, all that you owed me. That's what the king told the slave. He was back to square one. He thought he was climbing up to the top, but he's back to square one. It's like this shoots and ladders game. You, you think you've gone pretty rough much to the top and all of a sudden you took a wrong step and back you're down uh, I think in the shoots and ladders game you never come to square one you come to one of the other squares but in, with God you come to square one all the way down there just because you took that one wrong step you didn't forgive somebody it's serious and that's not all first of all God put all of that back on his head Secondly, it says here in verse 32, God called him a wicked person. God calls a child of his, who won't forgive somebody, a wicked person. You don't deserve to be a child of man. God says. You're a wicked person. I don't want God to call me a wicked person. And remember, these words are spoken by the gentle, meek and mild Jesus. He's the one who said it. Sometimes we've got a one-sided understanding of Jesus. He's just this merciful, kind, forgiving, gentle, gracious person. Absolutely true, but that's one side of him. The other side is he's very, very strict on people who are, not who are sinners, but who are unmerciful to others. We're all sinners. He's merciful to others. But there's another side of Jesus. He's ruthlessly unmerciful to those who are unmerciful to others. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful, they alone will obtain mercy. You know that. It's very clear. And so God calls such a person wicked. Very strong word. The second thing we read here is verse 34 God was angry with the the Lord was angry with the person. You think God won't be angry with you? A lot of preachers say God will never be angry with you. Well in most cases he won't. Even if you committed murder you can repent. The thief on the cross repented. God was not angry with him. He took him to paradise because he took the blame and said, yeah, Lord, I'm guilty. Paul was a murderer, murdered Christians. He became the greatest apostle. But, if you don't forgive somebody, boy, God's going to be angry. It says here, the Lord was moved with anger. It's not just angry, propelled with anger against this person for only one thing. Not because he went and killed somebody, because he wouldn't forgive someone. Is terrible. You know, a person can fall into dirty ways of thinking or even fall into adultery in a moment of weakness. possible. But an unforgiving attitude is not a moment of weakness. No. An unforgiving attitude is a deliberate choice that a man makes. Saying, I decide I am not going to forgive that person in my mind. And then God is moved with anger he's propelled with anger against such children of his that's i told you first of all this person's got to pay up the whole all his past sins secondly he's called wicked thirdly god is moved with anger and the fourth thing mentioned in verse 34 is god allows the torturers which are the demons to go and attack him until he has repaid all that debt I mean this is Jesus. This is the meek and mild Jesus saying what does he say? He handed him over to the torturers verse 34. Torturers are the demons. That means they make you sick in some way. Do you know there are sicknesses that believers get that they'll never be healed from with any amount of injections and pills and treatment. They'll be healed when they forgive somebody. And you say, does the, you mean the Lord will do that? For, God will do that to me? Okay, read the next verse. Exactly in this way will my heavenly father do to you. Heavenly father, not God. Heavenly father will do to you, not if you fall into adultery, but if you don't forgive somebody from your heart. How many times in your life, my brothers and sisters, has somebody taken pains to explain this parable in detail to you? Or have you meditated and studied this parable in detail? You know how the devil wouldn't like, want you to study all these things? He wants you to be with him for eternity, the devil. No wonder. I've hardly found... I'll tell you this. I was a Christian for, before we started CFC... I was a Christian for 16 years, born again, defeated. Most of the time defeated, discouraged. But I used to go to a good church. I went to a brethren assembly where they studied God's word. There's no church in the world that emphasizes the Bible like the brethren. But I never heard one sermon on this parable. In all the years I was there. Never. I said, why why are these left out? They taught me about the tabernacle and about forgiveness and how we are justified and accepted and all that but they never told me that if i don't forgive others i won't be forgiven That if i don't forgive others god will call me wicked he'll be angry with me he'll release the demons on me and put all my sins back on my head i never heard that but i thank god that i discovered these things and if people are i believe that if god allows you to hear it it's because he loves you he sincerely loves you and wants you to have his best that's why he allows you to hear this message and uh, I remember one in case you haven't heard this mentioned before let me repeat it for those who haven't about uh, 37 years ago there was a very well known musician and evangelist in India very famous uh, who one day he came to our small despised house church. We were meeting in our house in those days, 1980. We didn't even have a building. We were just a small group of maybe 40 people meeting in our house. And this guy, who's so well-known and famous, came to our church. I was wondering why he came. And he said, well, Brother Zach, I've heard some of your messages and I feel God asked me to come here. Okay. And uh, when he he was a wonderful accordionist he played before the queen and king and all of England and all that Um, so when we had a conference I asked him to play the accordion he said no I won't play I've come here to listen to the word of God and he sat there just like in the crowd two years later he was dying and he was in a hospital in another town he called on me to please come and I took a flight and went there and I went to his bedside in the hospital and he said Brother Zach I've served God for 20 years in India full time and there are so many pastors who said so many lies about me and did so much evil to me and I was so bitter against all of them Uh, I never manifested my heart was full of anger against all of them And only when I came to your church two years ago, I heard for the first time that if I don't forgive others, I will not be ready to meet the Lord. And I took it seriously. And I want to say to you today, Brother Zach, that I have forgiven every last one of them. I'm ready to meet my Savior. He died the next day then I knew why God sent him to our church two years ago all his fame as an evangelist and musician would not take him to heaven I told his wife after he died isn't it good that he didn't go to heaven as a musician and a famous evangelist that he went to heaven as a repentant sinner who had forgiven everybody and wanted to be a disciple of Jesus I'll never forget that And where God sees someone, I believe God saw the sincerity of his heart and brought him to hear the very message he needed to hear. And a lot of others, maybe God sees them, they are not sincere, so they never hear it. You are sincere. God's allowed you to hear a very important message so that when Christ comes again, with boldness, you can say, Lord, I'm ready to meet you. My heart is clear every sin that I know I have confessed to you and your blood has cleansed me and I have forgiven everybody that I know so I want you to do something I want you with an act of your will forgive every person who comes to your mind right now that you have not forgiven and make sure that you don't forget what you heard today that if ever between now and the coming of Christ I don't know how many years that will be if ever ever that unforgiving attitude comes back into your mind just release that person immediately and you can come to a life I'll tell you because uh, there were times in my life when I had this unforgiving attitude and I was not ready to meet the Lord God had mercy on me but I can say today I live in another realm today I live inside the veil in the most holy place where my will is not important. I don't... You know, why is it we don't forgive someone? I'll tell you. We get a certain pleasure out of not forgiving that person. Why do people go after sex? There's a pleasure in it. Why do people go after money? There's a pleasure in getting a lot of money. Why do people eat any type of food which they like? There's a pleasure in it. Why is it you don't forgive somebody? whether you believe it or not, there is a pleasure in it. We never do things that hurt us. You won't go cut yourself with a knife because that hurts you. Everything you do, whether you realize it or not, is because you find a certain pleasure in having that unforgiving attitude towards that person. And you got to hate it. You got to put that self of yours out of the throne of your life and Put it to death and put Christ there. It's no longer I, but Christ. And you can do that today and say, Lord, this is just one area, but as you open up your life to God in this area, the Lord will begin to show you so many things. And your life will, like the Bible says, go from one degree of glory to another. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God is a good God, as we just sang. God is good all the time and he's been good to us but when we sing that he's put a song in this heart of mine we don't want it to be imaginary you will not have that song if in your heart if you haven't forgiven somebody you'll only have it in your mouth and your mind but not in your heart determined Right now, as you bow before God, say, Lord, just show me there's anyone I haven't forgiven. Right now, is there anybody in this church, perhaps, uh, you got a grudge against? You wouldn't think there is, but perhaps there is. You're probably such a proud person that you got a grudge against somebody in this church. Only proud people will have a grudge against somebody in their own church. A humble person will never have it. You're a very proud person if you got a grudge against anyone in this church. I'll tell you that. Say, Lord, I forgive. Begin there. Begin in your own church and then begin with your relatives and then go to your former bosses and the people you worked for and work for today. Say, Lord, I want to forgive. And uh, neighbors and whoever you can think of, say, Lord, I want to forgive every one of them. You've forgiven me so much. And if you find it difficult to forgive someone because they did so much harm to you or your family, then... Ask the Lord to help you. His Holy Spirit is there to help you to forgive that person from your heart. We want to mean business with God before we move on. There are wonderful things God has in store for us, but we have to get past this hurdle before we possess those things which God has for us. And perhaps this is the thing that's blocked the channel so that you couldn't be filled with the Holy Spirit even though you prayed for years to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, nothing happened. You claimed it by faith and nothing happened. But nothing will happen because there's a block in the channel. But you're clearing it today. You're getting rid of it. And the floodgates of heaven will be open over your life. And your life will be entirely different. Say, Lord, I forgive completely. Help me to forgive from the heart. Help me to release everyone. Help me not to have my hand on anybody's throat and be merciful to me because I've been extremely unmerciful to others. But I want to change today. Please help me. I've been so judgmental and critical of everybody around me, thinking that I am Almighty God. Forgive me for sitting on the throne of God and judging everybody else. Lord, forgive me and help me to take the low place at the foot of your throne from today onwards and not to sit on it as a judge I want to be merciful to everyone please cleanse me from my unmerciful attitude I humbly ask I pray the blood of Jesus will blot out this sin which I've discovered today and I never ever want to have it again in my life preserve me Lord remind me time this evil tries to creep into my heart again I want to be free and I want to be like the birds in the air flying towards you help me Lord And I believe you will. Heavenly Father, I believe there are some at least here who are sincerely crying out to you today. I pray it will be everyone. And I pray that there will be a release that will come into their life as they forgive others. A healing from sickness that will come to those who are still sick because of this sin. Lord, we pray. We know you'll do more than we ask or think. We pray in Jesus' name.